Blomberg. And I'm Lisa DeSimone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the Securing a Strong Retirement Act. In March 2022, the House of Representatives approved the Securing a Strong Retirement Act, sending the bill to the Senate with overwhelming bipartisan support. The act builds on the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement, or SECURE, Act of 2019, and thus has been dubbed SECURE 2.0. In today's episode, we discuss the provisions of the act and how it could influence inequality in America. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, saving for retirement. And as I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking it's so interesting that you and I are both, as uh, Elaine once told George on Seinfeld, extremely careful with money. As someone who's never watched Seinfeld, I, I don't get it, but it's self-explanatory. Yep. Okay. Um, and it's it's okay to say that I'm cheap. I mean, I think we've let the cat out of the bag on this podcast that um, my, my care with money potentially uh, ventures into the cheap territory. I prefer to be called frugal. What I found interesting though, is that we're frugal for different reasons. Okay, explain yourself. I think you're frugal because you just can't fathom that a pair of joggers could cost $80 when back in your day, you could buy joggers for $20 at Target. Okay, two things. Yeah. I can't fathom why a wedding dress would cost $80, let alone (laughs) a pair of joggers. And number two, it wasn't just back in my day, you can still buy a pair of joggers from Target for only 20 bucks. Point being, you love a bargain. I do love a bargain. If I'm gonna spend money, I want the expensive fancy pants joggers everyone raves about and I'm willing to pay for it. It's just that I happen to also get a whole, whole lot of joy, or as economists like to say, utility, out of saving and watching my savings grow. I get more utility out of watching that piggy bank grow than the joggers themselves. Maybe more utility, but definitely not more comfort. I'll agree to that. Well, the sad thing is we wish that more of America liked bargain hunting or saving. I agree. Because according to a 2019 Government Accountability Office study, less than 50%, about 48% of Americans nearing or at retirement age do not have any retirement funds saved up. I'm going to go ahead and say that's a problem. No bueno. Even if our social security system hasn't bankrupted itself, (laughs) right? By the time they're intending to rely on those funds, the program is only intended to replace about 40% of a worker's wages. So for most people, they're either going to need to cut spending dramatically in retirement, or they need to save in order to self-fund a good portion of the cost of their golden years. Or they're going to have to find three other ladies to share a house with in Miami during their golden years. Yes. Thank you for being a friend. (laughs) Okay. Unfortunately, there is a lot of disparity in savings across groups. Maybe not surprisingly, those with lower incomes, shorter careers, and less intergenerational wealth are falling farther short of their retirement savings needs. Um, I got some good news for you. I like good news. Today, we're going to talk about a bill that was recently passed by the House of Representatives by a bipartisan vote of 414 to 5, nonetheless, that would make some big strides in helping those who don't have much savings put more of a nest egg away for retirement. And we're also going to discuss whether the bill is expected to benefit all taxpayers equitably. 
That is our agenda for today. So on to our first point of business, which is the Securing a Strong Retirement Act, or SECURE 2.0. Yep. Again, as we've said before, Congress just loves a good acronym. They cannot pass one up. No, and sometimes we wish they would. Yes. Uh, So first thing to clarify is that the bill is not yet law. Okay. It has only cleared the House. It needs to still go to the Senate and get signed into law by President Biden. But essentially what we're trying to do, what we're hoping to do with this bill, is to give taxpayers what behavioral economists call a nudge to save more money. I love nudges. And I love fudges. (laughs) And they're almost the same thing. Not really. Mm -hmm. Nobel laureate Richard Thaler and his co-author Cass Sunstein describe tactics that can be used to gently push people towards a desired behavior in their book, also called Nudge, which, by the way, is a really good read. I will put that on my reading list. You should. The big nudge in Secure 2.0 is to automatically enroll all new employees to save at least 3% of their compensation in their employer-provided retirement plan. The reason that this is probably going to be an effective nudge is that it sets a default behavior for employees to save for retirement. Now, you can always opt out, but you have to do that proactively. This is arguably better than the current system we have, where the usual default is to save nothing, nada, zip, zero. Meaning employees not only have to proactively turn on the contributions to their retirement accounts, but then they also have to decide how much to contribute. And a lot of employees are simply overwhelmed by all of these decisions and what it means. And and it's just a lot for them to take. The analogy that's popping into my head is how back in the day when you had to get up off the couch to change the (laughs) channel. For, for any of our listeners who are like over 35, you might understand what this means. You actually had to use to get off the couch. Mm-hmm. And what that meant was a, a lot of people just watched the show that was on. Right. Because it was, it was costly. And there were only three channels anyway. Well, exactly. So the Security 2.0 is giving you remote control. And you can very easily change your behavior and save more. So just like people not getting off the couch to change their channel, it turns out that most employees tend to stick with whatever the default setting is. Currently, only about 40% of employers automatically enroll employees, according to Fidelity, but larger companies have led the charge to encourage more retirement savings. 62% of the largest organizations employing at least 50,000 workers do automatically enroll their employees. Importantly, Fidelity finds that over 90% of automatically enrolled workers stay enrolled, which means they're saving. So the nudge works 90% of the time, meaning more workers are gonna be saving for retirement under this bill if we can get it passed. Anchorman, 90% of the time, it works 100% of the time. (laughs) Well said. Um, What's more, the bill is going to require employers to automatically increase the annual contribution amount by 1% of employee compensation per year until employees get up to about a 10 to 15% cap. And I really like this because it's small changes. You're not going to feel the pain all at once. Right. It's gradual. Yes. You're probably not going to miss that little extra 1% of savings uh, just getting taken out of your paycheck. Especially if compensation increases by as much every year. I don't know what that feels like, but I imagine that that's a good thing. Yes. Another big change the bill makes to help those typically on the lower end of the income distribution is that it makes more part-time employees eligible to participate in employer-sponsored plans. And I love this. I agree. I love this. It's huge because a lot of times these part-time workers have been left out. Yes. So not only do they not get the benefit of being able to contribute more to employer-sponsored retirement plans like 401ks, for example, than to self-managed plans like IRAs that have lower contribution limits, but also they miss out on employer matches, which are a big deal. Absolutely. A lot of employers match their employees' contribution to their retirement accounts, which means they'll give you extra money. For free. To save. 
for retirement for free as long as you're also contributing towards your retirement so if the employee puts in a thousand bucks a lot of employers will match at least some portion of that some will go all the way and match the whole entire thousand dollars and that leads to what i think may be my favorite provision of the bill if i may employers will be allowed to treat student loan payments made by employees as if they are contributions to the employee's retirement plan. Yeah, I think this might be my favorite too. It's awesome. And it's so creative. It is. So what it does is it basically means that employees who are also repaying student loans, which is a non-trivial part of America, will now qualify for matching retirement contributions from their employer. Exactly. In the past, a lot of workers would have to decide between either paying down their student loans to reduce their future interest and principal payments or putting funds into their retirement account to earn those matching contributions, again, for free from their employer. Yep. And so now workers can pay down those loans without sacrificing what can be a very, very valuable part of their compensation package. According to futurefuel.io, a software provider for managing student loan payments, The change would let 3.4 million new people save for retirement through their employer-sponsored plans. That's a lot of people. Yes. The bill also increases the maximum contributions for older employees, those who are closer to retirement, and perhaps starting to feel like maybe they haven't saved enough for retirement over the course of their careers. And so it's long been the case that older employees can make larger contributions to their employer-sponsored plans than infinitely more youthful and vibrant employees like us. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whose contributions max out at $20,500 currently, and these amounts are indexed for inflation. That's right. So employees over 50 currently get to contribute an extra $6,500 each year to help them catch up their retirement goals as their retirement nears. And this is making me so happy because finally it's something to look forward to in the coming years when I'm going to be 50. When? You know, someday. In eight years. But it's there. Just sitting there like a big dead end. Well played. The bill increases these, quote, catch-up contributions for employees aged 62 to 64 to $10,000 each year. There's one catch with those larger catch-up contributions, though, and that's that they're going to have to be Roth contributions. So, B, give us a quick recap on traditional versus Roth. Go. It's going to be short because I'm going to tell you all I know, and it's (laughs) not a lot. Traditional plans give you a deduction for your contributions upfront when you make the contribution. So that means that you're saving your tax now. Yes. You then pay tax on all of your distributions in the future. Correct. Roth plans are the exact opposite. You pay tax on the earnings that you contribute now, which means that in the future, all of your distributions are tax-free. So making these catch-up contributions Roth in flavor is probably one way Congress is trying to anticipate paying for this bill. Yeah, that's the tricky thing that they do is they... Sneaky. It's it's sneaky clever. And they'll do things where they're trying to tax something uh, now to increase tax revenues now to make the bill look like it's revenue neutral. And ignore all of those giant tax revenues they're giving away in the future. Just don't pay attention. Don't look behind the curtain. And the reason they think that those tax revenues are going to decrease in the future is because all of the increased deductions claimed by all those employees who are going to be newly automatically enrolled in traditional retirement plans under the plan. 
And as you may suspect, we don't normally love these types of schemes that nope. accelerate tax revenues now to help pay for bigger tax breaks in the future. But I think we're willing to look the other way in this instance because it's kind of hard to argue with a tax policy that's encouraging more people and people who arguably need it more to increase their retirement savings. I totally agree with that. And those stats that we mentioned at the top of the program, they're really eye-opening and kind of depre- depressing. Absolutely. Those who need this bill really, really need it. All right, so we've talked about several changes that seem targeted at helping lower income and lower wealth individuals save more for retirement. Woohoo! And they're going to do this by automatically enrolling them in retirement plans, increasing their contributions over time and increasing their allowed contributions as they draw closer to retirement. Which is usually when you have more money anyway. All good things. Yep. But now we're going to move on to the second item on our to-do list for today, which is asking whether the benefits of the bill are distributed equitably. Interesting question. So now I'm sure that the provisions of Secure 2.0 that are targeted at the rich are only reducing their tax benefits of saving for retirement, right? because the rich are gonna save anyway. We know this, we've talked about yep. this on other episodes. Yep. So they're gonna save whether or not they get a tax benefit from doing it. So I'm hopeful that nothing in Secure 2.0 is gonna give them more tax incentives to save. I, I'm very sorry to burst your bubble. Damn it. But if we know nothing about a bunch of um, predominantly uh, old white dudes writing laws, is that they like to write laws that help themselves. And, and those old white dudes we're referring to would be your, your Congress. Yes. All right, so fair enough. What did the uh, the old white Congress do this time? Okay, let's start by going back to those matching contributions we were talking about. In the past, even if your own employee contributions were Roth contributions, your employer contributions remained traditional. So what that means is when you pulled funds from your Roth account in retirement, some of those distributions would still be taxable to the extent that they were originally contributed by your employer, whereas usually what we just said, you would pull from your Roth and it's not taxed in retirement the employer contributed portion is. Secure 2.0, on the other hand, would allow employers to let their employees elect to have their matching contributions be Roth contributions. Which is pretty awesome. I would elect that. So these contributions wouldn't be taxed upon distribution, but they would be included in the employee's income in the year of the contribution. Interesting makes sense because employer matches should be taxed at some point in time, either the year of the contribution or the year of the distribution. Right, but Roth plans benefit those who will have a higher tax rate in retirement than when they contribute. And so that begs the question, okay, how do you get a higher tax rate in retirement? I have a guess. Okay. Have more money in retirement? Yes. Okay. Number one, you could have more income. And remember that investment income and distributions from traditional retirement accounts both count as taxable income. So even though you're retired, you may still have taxable income. Number two, the government could increase tax rates. And uh, my money is on both of these things being more likely for the rich than for the less rich. Agreed. The bill also raises the age at which retirees have to start taking required minimum distributions from their retirement plans. And remember, if these are traditional retirement plans, you're going to be paying tax on those distributions. Right. The first SECURE Act raised the mandatory distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. SECURE 2.0 raises it further to 73 starting in 2022 and eventually going all the way to 75 in 2032. And this is actually the most expensive part of the bill, costing an estimated $9.6 billion. 
And that could be money well spent, though, because workers are living and working longer. Mm -hmm. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, in the past decade, the number of Americans over the age of 65 working at least part-time increased by 60%. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. If you're still working, you don't need to draw down your retirement account. Being able to leave the money in the account longer also allows it more time to grow tax-free. And everything that you just said is true. However. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here she comes. Delaying required distributions also likely benefits those who don't need to withdraw as much during the early years of retirement because they have greater sources of wealth elsewhere that they can draw on. True. They get to keep their contributions safely protected from taxes in their retirement account longer, compounding at a nice fat pre-tax rate of return. Even increasing the catch-up contributions to $10,000 each year for taxpayers nearing retirement will only benefit those who can set aside the extra cash. That's a really good point. And on that theme of giving more tax benefits to people who don't need them. Which I love. Secure 2.0 supports larger qualified charitable distributions over time. Now, what is that? It's just a transaction where you have your retirement distribution go straight to a charitable organization. Because it never passes through you, you don't have to include it in taxable income anymore. The bill indexes the allowed annual amounts so that they keep up with inflation. You gotta love this because Mm -hmm. people who are well enough off to just give their money away really need a tax break. And it needs to be growing every year. Of course. Time for the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I have something good to say. Which is freaking me out, lady. Okay, you have to stop saying that because this is like the third time in a row that I've had something good to say. So over 24 episodes and 13 years of work marriage, I'm going to say your overall positivity percentage is not statistically distinguishable from zero, but continue. You know, you and your logic and your damn math, your damn statistics... Anyway, because of its overwhelming bipartisan support, the bill is expected to pass sometime this year. Okay, but let me assume that bleak B rapper persona for a moment. Is this Freaky Friday? It is. Okay. The bill is nowhere near final. So yes, it was passed in the House with only a handful of nays, but it's inevitably going to be changed by the Senate. And guess what? The Senate happens to be an even older and wider group of dudes. Which seems inconceivable. And yet it's true. Mm -hmm. So even though Democrats and Republicans for once have a lot they can agree on in a bill, which is also freaking me out, Mm -hmm. it's likely going to get contentious as each party tries to push the envelope for their respective causes, which do not overlap. All right, well, I'm going to take your bad, which I assume that was. It was. And raise you ugly. There's the bleak bee I know and love. I'm here. But again, you just sparked the negative thought that I am having. Once again, it's all my fault. Again, your fault. You know, Twitter, where I go for all of my tax information now. Yes. Was all a buzz about how at least some of the benefits in Secure 2.0 were skewed toward higher income and higher wealth workers. Okay. Now, I am no political scholar, but I always thought that was sort of a dividing line between the parties Mm -hmm. and that Democrats wanted to paint themselves as champions for the lower income, lower wealth taxpayers. Uh So what gives? Is it just that they see enough good in the package to outweigh the bad that some of these benefits could actually skew towards higher wealth people? That's a very positive take, an optimistic take on this. And so I'm going to say that I hope it's true. Okay. I think we've all become so conditioned to expect conflict and partisan politics that when something has bipartisan support, it seems too good to be true. I certainly feel that way. Mm -hmm. 
As Professor Dorothy Brown discusses in her book, The Whiteness of Wealth, auto-enrollment in 401k plans essentially eliminates the enrollment gap between black and white workers. Mm -hmm. And the act does other good things that could be more beneficial to lower income, lower wealth taxpayers, like offering a simplified savers credit of up to $1,000 for single filers. Um, so that they can save for retirement. And it expands credits for businesses with fewer than 50 employees to help offset plan startup costs so they could offer these plans to their employees. Okay. Okay. But. Here it comes. I mean, you're going to hate me for this because you're trying to paint, you're, you're trying to show the good parts of the bill that potentially it's outweigh. It's what I do. Okay. So you're trying to take an optimistic spin. You're trying to highlight the good. I'm going to come in with my, uh, my gray cloud marker, my gray cloud stickers, yes. cloudy bear over here. And unfortunately, even the saver's credit is problematic. Okay, yes. You are the most eternally pessimistic person I know. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to keep it honest, okay? Bleak B, keeping it real. Uh, I'm not going to engage on that mantra. The credit is not refundable. Okay. So what that means is that workers can't actually claim the full saver's credit unless they have sufficient taxable income to do so. Seems potentially problematic. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, but Daniel Hamel, who we follow on Twitter, writes for the Washington Post and offers an example to help drive this point home. Bring it. So we've got a head of household with two kids. She wouldn't have enough tax liability to benefit from a $1,000 savers credit until her income was over $38,000. And here's the best part. At that point, she would have too much income to qualify for the credit in the first place. <laughs> Isn't that special? Seems a little messed up. And um, now that we're on a roll, we can come back to some of the other common themes about overly complex rules and lack of awareness and disproportionately disadvantaging lower income and lower wealth taxpayers. Oh, but you don't have to worry about that. Oh, really? Because Secure 2.0 also calls for increased public awareness of the saver's credit. Because that's worked so well for other things like free filing and the earning of tax credit. And if more awareness means more IRS funding, then uh, Houston, I think we might have a problem. Indeed. On top of that, James Klein of the American Benefits Council says changes like those proposed in Secure 2.0 usually only get passed if they're added to a larger bill or some type of big tax reform. That means that the viability of this legislation in the Senate might be contingent on another bill passing. And we know how easily those spending bills always get passed in a normal year, let alone during a year of, say it with me now, midterms. Because nobody would possibly hold up an overwhelmingly popular bill with bipartisan support just to make some sort of political statement right before midterm elections, right? <laughs> I'm already dreading the political ads in my somewhat purple, but not really purple, entirely red state. Uh, let's see. You are a blueberry in a glass of V8. That sounds very no bueno. <laughs> it does. I'm sorry. You're much better than a blueberry in a glass of V8. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, that's all we have time for today. I'm Lisa DeSimone. And I'm Bridget Stomberg. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. <laughs>